of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Everybody online, good morning to you as well. Thanks for joining us. I'm Father Sean, and uh, this is the fourth week of Lent. If you're new to this tradition, uh, Lent is a season of preparation for the biggest party of the year. Uh, that's coming around the corner for us, Easter and Holy Week leading up to that. Uh, So we have some announcements about Holy Week coming up. Don't miss the culmination of all of our preparation. You're going to want to be here for that. As we enter this fourth week of Lent, um, our gospel reading from Luke 15 invites us to contemplate a story. Did you all hear this? Sometimes I kind of catch myself daydreaming during the readings, and so it's helpful to kind of like rephrase, like, what just happened? What did I just miss? There's this story that many of us are probably familiar with. It's one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the prodigal son. And the story isn't just kind of a moral story to say, think about these things, but it kind of ends in this way and and opens up in a certain kind of mysterious way that invites the listener to come in and ask some serious questions like, who am I in this story? What's Jesus really talking about? Is he talking about me? Is he revealing something for me? And so as we together reflect on Luke 15, I want to invite you to ask some of those same questions. Who are you in that story? What does this reveal about who God is? What he's up to, even with me? So with that, let's take a look together. I'm going to walk us through parts of this uh, again. For some context, we know, and we didn't hear this in the reading because this was uh, later on in Luke, but the very first verse of Luke chapter 15 tells us that Jesus was telling this story to Uh, a group of Pharisees and scribes who were grumbling, Scripture says, criticizing him for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And that context, I think, is actually really, really important. That Jesus held company with sinners, with the outsiders, with, with those that the Jews really did not like, the outsiders of God's covenant. Jesus was keeping company with, with them? They had something to say about it. So the Lord addresses his critics with two short parables about lost sheep and then another one about a lost coin and then a longer story, a longer parable about this lost son, this prodigal son. Now, the younger son, this prodigal son, he asks for his inheritance from his father, which is a pretty big insult asking for your inheritance, basically wishing that I wish you were dead, dad, so that I could have my share of the money. Give me what's mine and let me go. This is what the son proposed to the father. And he goes out and the father gives him his inheritance and he goes out to a faraway country, scripture says, and he he wastes it on reckless living in verse 13. And prostitutes, we find out in verse 30. The sin goes really deep here with the younger son. From asking for his dad basically to be dead and give him his money to... um, defiling the body and exploiting the body of other people, the bodies of other people, and rejecting your own family just so that you can pursue your own sort of selfish pleasures and gains. It's all here. And for the parable's sake, this is meant to represent kind of the worst of sins. It's all here. And it's all really, really bad. And it really did destroy his life. He went from feasting with the love of his family to being hungry and envious of what the pigs got to eat. That's how bad it was. He was utterly lost. But then something happens in his lostness. This is the turn of the parable where things begin to get really interesting. 
he becomes aware of just how lost he is. Realizing, I once had it pretty good, and now I'm just begging to have some of the scraps that the pigs are eating. It's disgusting. This is a sort of rock bottom that he becomes aware of. He bumps into reality and realizes, I am, I am so utterly lost. What happened? And so he makes this decision in his heart. To, he resolves to go back to his family and to repent. And in verse 20, this is what it says. And he arose and came to his father. But listen to this. While he was still long off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son, this younger son, this total screw-up of a son, had no sense of entitlement. He had no presumption about what the father might or should give to him in response. He had simply decided that he needed to go home. And he had no idea what he was going to encounter. He had his confession rehearsed. I know what I'm going to say. I know how lost I am. I am like the worst of children. And I know what I need to say to make this right. And while he's reciting his last lines of his repentance to his father, his dad sees him in the distance. I'm sorry, while he's reciting his, his last lines in front of his father, by the time he gets to his house, his father interrupts him and says, hold on, hold on, let's throw a party. His father embraces him, he kisses him. He gives him a ring, a robe, he calls for sandals. He calls for, in Austin's terms, a smoked brisket and a mariachi and like, let's, everything we've got, let's give it to my son, he's home. Because once he was dead, now he's alive. Once he was lost, now he's found. The father interrupted his rehearsed repentance. Verse 24 says, for this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Can you imagine our Heavenly Father saying that to you in certain moments in your life, maybe even now? Can you even imagine, I think for some, it might even be really hard to imagine a God who would say that to you. You expect from screwing up to come to meet a God who has his arms crossed and is like, I told you so. And now what are you going to do? I'm not going to help you. Or a God who waits to hear every last word of your repentance just to make sure you really mean it before he offers any sort of warmth. No, that God does not exist. It just doesn't exist, friends. I don't know who that God is. I don't know where you found that. But this is the God that is revealed to us in this story. The prodigal son is the God who interrupts our confession of sin, who runs out on the horizon to meet us. Even before we can make our peace with it, this God comes to embrace us and then he throws us a party. He gives us more than we could ever ask for or imagine. That is good news. Amen to that. The elder son, this isn't the only son. There was an elder son who had obeyed the whole time. He had been right at the side of the father the whole time, all along. And he found himself angry, resentful, bitter, standing at a distance in some pride. And the father pleaded with him, seeing the elder son saying, I have been here all along. I've done everything you've asked me to do, Father, and you don't even give me a young goat. What does this make of me? The Father pleads with him in verse 31, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
really. Because all, all that he has left now goes to the elder son. The other son already wasted the other part of his wealth. And in this moment, we realize that there's two sons in this story and two lost sons in this story. This son is also lost. Standing in a distance from God, from the Father, full of pride, wondering, when is he going to give this, this screw-up what he had coming for him? I've been, I've been doing, I've been here every Sunday. I've been following the rules. I have my quiet times all the time. And this is how they treat people who don't follow any of those rules? He was lost too, just kind of in a different way, right? Notice in scripture, he never called his dad father. And he never even called the younger son brother. He called him the father's son. That's how distant he was and he made himself in that moment. His bitterness, it led him to forget years and years of his father's generosity, his kindness to him. It led him to forget and just complain, ultimately, that he hasn't received his blessing the way he wanted it. And the parable just kind of hangs there, like a really bad season finale of something you've drug yourself through, and you're like, really? you got to wait another year? This is how the parable hangs, but it's not just a cliffhanger to get you to read more. It's actually this open invitation, this moment to say, what would you do? How, how do you think the elder son would respond. I wonder, as we say in our kids' classrooms, I wonder, what did the elder son do, you think? Not telling us which direction this goes, whether he goes into the feast and receives that warm embrace or he remains in the cold, standing in pride, we just don't know. So these two sons being lost for very different reasons, but still very much lost sons. This Jesus. This uh, parable Jesus poses to, remember our context, the Pharisees and the scribes who are criticizing him for hanging out with sinners. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, we often kind of write off as just like religious punks, right? But actually, these people were very earnest, very like striving to be faithful, striving to follow the letter of the law, striving to follow all of God's commands. They weren't punks. They were just actually trying really hard to be faithful to the Lord and got it wrong sometimes, just like we do. And they were grumbling uh, to Jesus about all the decisions he had made, about those who didn't strive the way that they did, those who weren't as faithful. To them and to us, Jesus poses this question and hopefully provokes something in us. Which son are you? Can you see it? Do you even have the wherewithal, the imagination to... Ask yourself right now and with your life, which son are you? Are you the younger, screw-up son, the rock-bottom story? Or are you the older, bitter son, the one standing in the cold, full of pride, not able to bring themselves to come and repent and feel the embrace of the Father? And in reality, when I look at this with my own life, I think, man, I'm kind of a little bit of both, actually. Maybe 50-50. I've screwed up. I still am a screw up. And even I find myself at times looking at other people and thinking, why can't they just get it together? What's the problem here? I'm really lost, Jesus. I see the invitation you're making. Can you see that, friends? Especially in Lent, these kinds of parables are these invitations to help us step into 
reality, to the truth of just how lost we actually can be. And we tell ourselves the same stories. We tell these stories to ourselves about why we're justified to feel this way to our neighbor who hasn't been as faithful. Or we tell ourselves this story about how I'm too much of a screw up. I got too much on my, in my life that it, the Lord can't handle that. Trust me, he can't handle that. We tell ourselves these stories like these sons could have told themselves to keep them away from the father's embrace. But the point of this parable really isn't just how messed up or proud these sons are. The point of this story is a revelation about who God really is, who the father is, how the father is. Did you see how he treats his lost children? You see that? Did you notice how great his love? The way he waits for us, looking for us on the horizon, the moment of repentance, the way that he runs out to meet us when we need him the most, how he interrupts our confessions to embrace us, ready to adorn us and offer the forgiveness of sins and restore us, ready to make a new creation, in other words. The Father is so ready, ready enough that he made his own Son, who knew no sin, to become sin for our sake. That's how great the Father's love. Jesus Christ himself, taking on the fullness of all of our sin, the fullness of all of our pride into himself. He who had not a drop of sin or pride, took it on for our sake that through us we would be reconciled to the Father. And on on top of that, it just gets kind of crazier and crazier. On top of that, there's grace upon grace. There's the forgiveness of sins. There's a, let me get you a ring. There's a, let me put some sandals and some stuff on you. And let's come in and eat and just go crazy. This is going to be a celebration. It's not just a shoulder shrugging like, okay, I guess you can come in. It's let's throw a party. I'm so glad you're home. My children are home. What does this reveal about God, the Father? And how does this compare to how you normally think of him in those situations? Our Heavenly Father pursues us with such a profound and often uncomfortable kind of love. With mercy, with mercy and with grace to even the worst of us, proud or screw up. And he's never forceful. He's never kicking down the door. He's never got his hands gripped around us like, are you just going to get it together or what? He never loses his temper like that. But waits, pursues us, and then pours out love and mercy at the hint of repentance in our hearts. That is such good news. He waits for us to become aware and even sometimes provokes awareness in us. To see our need to finally come home to him. And in that motion of coming home, that motion of repentance, we're met with this almost irrational logic of grace from the Father, which always takes precedence in the kingdom of God. That's the way God does things over everything else, even over your jealous hearts or the comparisons you make with others or your pride or your self-righteousness or your shame or your guilt. You know what takes precedence? All of, all of those sort of inner stories and logics in your life? The grace of God takes precedence over that. Have you ever experienced that? That kind of grace? 
from the Father, it totally disarms. It melts those cold hearts. It's, a, it's amazing. And we so desperately need it. Lent gives us an opportunity to come in touch with that great need. So friends, take your life as you have it right now. The things you actually have going on in your life right now, the, the concerns you have on your mind, the anxieties you have that just sit there like a rock in your body, Maybe it's stuff in the past, huge screw-ups. Maybe it's worrying, fearing that you're going to make a huge mistake to come in the future here. Maybe it's a heart full of pride that, yeah, I can hear you, Father Sean, but I'm not really listening to you. This message isn't really for me. Trust me, bro, I got this figured out. I'm good. Maybe that's where you're at. Take your life as you currently have it, the condition of your soul, right as you have it this morning. And hear the Father's invitation to you to come home. My daughters, my sons, my beloved, come home. Come home. Repent, in other words, and come home. You'll be met with, I promise, a celebration. You'll be met with forgiveness. You will be met with love and mercy and compassion because this is who our Father is in heaven is this God. So friends, if that's who God really is, let's lent this thing, right? Let's get after repentance. What do we have to be afraid of? We have nothing to be... We can start lenting like we've never lented before. Start fasting from stuff and repenting and, and like confessing our sins to one another. Just like, let me go. Get me. Get out of the way. I've got to get to the Father. Because we know we have a Father who comes and welcomes us so grandly at this table. Every week. And so you don't repent unto despair or unto more guilt or unto more burden, but we can shed all of that and repent and run home. And we know that the Father will come out and meet us halfway there. Probably more than halfway there, to be honest. And we know this not in theory or not at some sort of like a theological or moral point or philosophically. We know this in the person of Jesus Christ and his cross and the words that he announces over our lives of you are forgiven. You are a new creation. When we baptize children, sorry, I'm preaching a little bit here. When we baptize children, we got this big tank. You know what we say over the waters? This is a new creation. Not because of our own words, but because this is what the Father has announced to us. The same Father who at the beginning of creation said, let there be and there was. Yes, it's that Father who says, let there be again. And it is. Friends. We can let the heck out of this thing knowing that we become new creations and are welcomed into the banquet table of the Father. So don't be lazy with this. Don't get settled. We're not done yet. I know we're close. We're not done yet. we got work to do and it's such good work and the Father will meet us there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and let's invite the Holy Spirit to come speak to us about where we are this morning. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.